Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We have a special treat today on Let Me Be Frank. Jesuit Father Jerry Blaschek joins Bishop Caggiano to talk about renewing our spiritual practices, and particularly in this period of time between New Year's resolutions and Lenten promises. Before we begin, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to download the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone so you can take Catholic Radio with you wherever you go. It's really easy. Just go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or visit www.veritascatholic.com. Keep Catholic Radio right at your fingertips. Download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. All right, everybody, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. It's my pleasure, as always, to start today by introducing Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it is great to be with you, and it's a pleasure to have our first guest, Father Jerry, with us. Yes, because that's he'll, right. He'll do most. He'll do most of the work today, which is tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me take a minute and introduce our special guest that's joining us today. Father Jerry Blaschek has been with the Society of Jesus for over fifty years. He is the vice president of mission and ministry for Fairfield University and serves on the advisory board of the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality. Father Jerry has a PhD in New Testament and early church history from Harvard University and has taught at Lemoyne College, St. Joseph's University, Fordham University, and Hakama College in Nairobi. He's also served as Director of Novices for the Jesuit Provinces in Maryland and New York, as well as having held positions at St. Ignatius Loyola Parish in New York City, the Jesuit Curia in Rome, and St. Raphael the Archangel Parish in Raleigh. And Excellency, you know Father Jerry quite well. I certainly do. It's been a tremendous privilege to get to know you, Father Jerry. You are a wonderful priest. You have been a, a great support to me. Um, and the work of the uh, Murphy Center for Sp Ignatian Spirituality has been a tremendous gift to the diocese. And I'm sure we're gonna talk about all that. So I am absolutely on a personal level delighted to welcome you to this podcast. And you know what, Father Jerry? I think for people who do not know you as I do, may I begin by just asking you a very simple question. What are the three things you want our readers to know about you that that uh, Steve did not mention? Wow, um, that that's that's sort of a tough question. Um, <laughs> one probably is uh, where I'm from. I'm from uh, the coal regions of northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, my uh, grandparents all emigrated from the absolute poorest corner of what was the old Austro-Hungarian empire bordering Russia, Galicia, and they came and worked in the coal mines of northeastern Pennsylvania. And it was there, I think, that I was exposed um, to the strong faith, uh, the courageous determination to make education and a better life available for their children and grandchildren. And frankly, it was also there that I saw um, the ongoing problem of the place of immigrants in a new society. Uh, mm -hmm. How do people with other cultures, uh, how are they integrated? And uh, also the dangers uh, of, uh, of exploitation uh, of newcomers to our country. And so that, that was a, it's a key part of who I am, uh, both my ethnicity, uh, my, uh, you know, to be Polish uh, is, uh, is to love the church. Uh, it's to know who you are. It's to, it's to breathe and to live uh, from the perspective uh, of who God is and what our relationship to him is. 
I think the other important aspect of my life was how I first met the Jesuits. I met the Jesuits in Dallas, Texas. Uh, my father uh, worked for a chain of department stores, and he was transferred to Dallas, and I had the privilege of going to a Jesuit high school in Dallas, Texas. I had always, because of my first contact with the faith and with our community in Pennsylvania, I knew that I wanted to be a priest. I was, um, I was powerfully moved by the example of our priests and powerfully drawn to the liturgy of the church. And I had wonderful religious sisters who taught me growing up. But it was in Texas that I met other aspects of being a mature Catholic, uh, and to that, uh, and for that, I owe a great debt of gratitude to the uh, the Jesuits and our colleagues who taught me. Seems hard to imagine, but uh, our high school in Dallas, Texas, uh, was the only integrated high school in the city at that time, and the Jesuits quite deliberately um, made that option. Uh, that our school would be a school that not only was open to, but would recruit African-Americans and uh, Hispanic-Americans. Uh, and the school paid an enormous price. This was not a position, uh, this was not a choice that was exactly applauded by our alumni, regrettably, uh, or the people of Dallas in general. So uh, part of my experience going to high school um, was walking through uh, picket lines from the American Nazi Party and the KKK and seeing crosses burning on our lawn in front of our school. So um, early on, uh, I began to piece together that a commitment to Christ, uh, a commitment to faith, would require a commitment and perhaps a costly one uh, to work for the values of the kingdom of God that uh, inclusivity and a battle against uh, racial inequality would be required by our faith. And I, I didn't hear any, I, any ideology that led me to that. It was the example. It was the simple, clear decision of men of faith to say, our faith, our following of Jesus requires that this institution, this culture, uh, be a home for all of God's children. Uh, and that special efforts be made to welcome into the school those who uh, systemically and systematically had been deprived uh, of an educational opportunity. Bishop, it's it's not so different than, you know, the founding of your own high school, Regis High School. Yes. You know, uh, it was the vision of, uh, of the founder of that school that with the Jesuits, the school would be open uh, to... Uh, the 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 the, children, the the sons of immigrant families who otherwise would not have access to high quality education so mm -hmm. we were doing if you like uh for another group who had been ostracized just as at the time when regis was founded to be catholic in new york city was a liability and uh you know to be an object of prejudice and exclusion so i think that was that was a key moment in my life uh and lastly uh I served for a number of years at our Jesuit seminary in Nairobi, Kenya, um, and that completely expanded my understanding of church uh, and, uh, and the reality of being accepted and cared for and becoming part of, of a truly a global community. So that was, again, uh, a very important time in my life. Mm. Father Jerry, thank you for sharing those powerful stories. Uh, you know... Uh, Really, they're beautiful vignettes into your own life, and yet 
give profound spiritual lessons for all of us. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for being here because we have, to, to, for the time we have, we're going to explore the whole notion of a spiritual life and what that means for, for a, a believer, a disciple in the Lord. And um, if I were to ask you then, what, what does a spiritual life consist of? When we speak of Christian spirituality, most especially Ignatian spirituality, what would, for a person who does not know much or don't, knows nothing at all, how would you describe, to start our conversation, what that involves? Well, Bishop, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, if I were talking to an audience who was not in the least bit familiar uh, with Christ uh, and the Church, I might take a different tact. I would probably try to explore with that person um, the footprints of God that is in beauty or in nature or in the aspirations of their own heart. In other words, to try to bring them to a point where they would realize that the life is more than simple than simply the the material realities around them. But um, in this conversation with you and with our listeners, I would say. Uh, <laughs> unguardedly, that it all begins uh, with Jesus, uh, that mm -hmm. our, our spiritual life is in a response to the extraordinary, inestimable gift of God becoming flesh in Jesus, that God's plan from eternity uh, to welcome us into uh, the life of the Trinity uh, <laughs> reaches the point, reaches the climax, as Hebrews has been telling us in our readings these last few days, reaches its climax when, when the very Word of God takes on human flesh and shows us in a human form the face of God. And then, through the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord, welcomes us into the new life, the divine life, the Trinitarian life that God has desired for all humanity from, from the beginning of time. That this great plan of God to share God's very full life with us is given to us, manifest, made possible for us through Jesus when we are incorporated into his life through baptism in our sacramental life. And so for me, the spiritual life is simply the response to the great gift of new life that is given to us in the resurrection of Jesus. Mm. Uh, you know, Paul could not be clearer on this, that in Christ we have died, and with him we have risen to a new life. Uh, mm -hmm. I was just looking at First Peter again today, um, the language of a new creation. We have been made new. Uh, so the so the, the 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 celebration of Pascha or Easter that we're looking forward to at the climax uh, of of our liturgical year in Lent is what shines for us uh, our destiny and our meaning. We are made to to live in the reign of God in the fullness of life that God has made possible through Jesus and through our incorporation with Jesus uh, through baptism in our sacramental life. So the spiritual life. Uh, is to live the new life that would not be possible for us. It's to live the fullness of life, the, the, the reign of God, our, our life with the Trinity, in the Trinity, that's made possible for us. Now, pure gift, pure gift. Uh, but our human dilemma is, 
that we seem constantly to be forgetting who it is that by the grace of God we are empowered to be as individuals and as a, mm-hmm. and as a community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the spiritual life is our effort uh, to, uh, to accept that uh, in our present condition, uh, we need the tradition of the church, we need our spiritual masters, we need the example, we need the sacramental life of the church, we need the moral guidance of the church, and we need a life of intimate following of Christ in order for us to be who we are empowered by grace to be, full sons and daughters. So if I may ask then, so all those elements you just described are the tools to help strengthen one's spiritual life. So And we'll get to that in a second, perhaps after the break. I'm going to ask you some questions about some of those elements, because most of our listeners are trying to take their spiritual life seriously. So we could, we please God could be of help to them in that, in that, in that work. But explain to me this then for our listeners, myself included. So you spoke beautifully of the spiritual life. And yet we know in the church, there are schools of spirituality you know, the masters, the spiritual masters that take that, that, that pilgrimage to God, that search for the Lord, that, that acceptance of that sheer grace that comes to us, and, and it's concretized, it's incarnated in certain ways. So you come to us as a Jesuit, affiliated with the Center on Ignatian Spirituality. So I'm going to ask you then, in the backdrop of what you just described, explain to us what Ignatian Spirituality then is. The first thing that I want to say is it has more in common with other schools of spirituality than what distinguishes it. Uh, I think it's always a mistake for a religious family, from for whatever motive, to make it sound like they have the unique key and the unique take, and that there's something so distinctive that you know that that makes them you know wildly different. That a Jesuit is wildly different than you know Cistercian or Dominican or Carmelite spirituality. What we have in common is the core. Mm-hmm. The particular stress, and you know, this is all explainable by <laughs> historically, but ultimately, you know, as a gift from the Holy Spirit, um, mm-hmm. the the Ign- Ignatius's own experience was that God is so constantly available and helping us in all of the events of our life to live this full life that I just that I just described. Uh, Ignatius uh, is just he had he had a keen uh, an intense intuition uh, and then an ability to articulate that there is no place and no situation in which God isn't calling us home to that reality uh, for which his son lived and died for us. That whatever is happening in, in, in any moment of our life, uh, or no matter how forgetful we've been or how preoccupied we've been, no matter what we've done to alienate ourselves from our ultimate destiny and from the gift of our union with God through Christ, we are never given up on. Uh, this is why Pope Francis, good Jesuit that he is, is, is saying, you know, God, you know, uh, God never gets stanco de misericordia. He never gets tired of mercy. Uh, and, and so Ignatius believed that there, that, that of course through the sacraments, of course through the ministries of the church, but also through every moment of our personal bi- autobiography and through all of the events of our life, if 
we uh, have our minds and hearts open, we can discern or detect a call from God to move from exile or sin into fullness of life. Uh, Ignatius was bold in using the language of God, of saying that God is constantly laboring for us, that God is constantly in all of the events of our history, laboring so that God can share God's very self with us. That's how, that's how immediate and powerful Ignatius's experience of God intimately inserted in, at the heart of, involved in, uh, his own life and his own history. So for Ignatius, uh, this is why Ignatius, people would say about Ignatius, he's a contemplative in the middle of action, that no matter what he's doing, no matter what circumstances are occupying him, he seems to have this uh, almost immediate and, and instinctive sense that in these circumstances, however unpromising that they may appear at first glance, and indeed how, you know, how, how, uh, how, how, uh, almost counterintuitive it would be to say that God's grace is at work. Ignatius had, through the power of the Spirit and through the practices that he then later would share with us, he had the ability to find God in all things. First of all, he was convinced that God's will for us, expressed in Jesus, is always for our full good, is always for our full union with him, and then with him, with all creation, and with all of our sisters and brothers, and that God, in all of the events of our life, is laboring to bring us to that point. So, Bishop, I'd say that Ignatius, perhaps more than, you know, many other spiritual writers, has focused us on paying attention to the events of our actual life, that it's here that God is... uh, uh, is recre- is working our recreation. It's here that the effects of salvation are being worked out in the practical order of our lives. And so the spiritual life will have a lot to do with learning how to pay attention to the God who is acting in our lives. So, so the ordinary is actually extraordinary in that sense. The, yeah. So for us, there's no ordinary time. I love exactly. I love whatever the first Monday of ordinary time is because I always end up preaching and saying there, the or or the ordinary is the, I love the fact that that we wear green because ordinary time is the time of our spiritual growth and that there is no time when God is not working laboring so that we might have fullness of life. So then, Father Jerry, allow me to ask you this question then. Uh, against that backdrop now, so we go one one layer deeper, um, I think it's fair to say that Scripture played in a very important role um, in the life of St. Ignatius himself, in his conversion, and in all of that which he developed, all right, to help his right. fellow companions in the society and others. Right. So, so describe that for us, the role of Scripture in what you described in this Ignatian worldview. Absolutely, Bishop. Um, anybody who's uh, made an Ignatian retreat uh, or tried to follow uh, websites or social media on Ignatian spirituality uh, cannot not stumble onto uh, what people will call by various names uh, gospel contemplation. Um, for Ignatius, and again, this Ignatius was not unique in this, but maybe um, 
but maybe singular in his insistence that the gospel passages that we proclaim on Sundays and the scripture readings that we take for our prayer, however we, you know, if we organize that, um, that they are not only and not principally um, memories about God's action in the past. They our, our the scripture provide us our privileged access, not only how God is active in Jesus, but it is our privileged point of entry into how God is acting in Frank Caggiano's life, in Jerry Blaschek's mm-hmm. life, in everybody's life. So there is a mm-hmm. contemporaneity about the scripture. That's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why Ignatius will invite people to put themselves into the scene. This is not an act of, uh, of, of, of fantasy. This is, uh, this is an exercise that acknowledges the truth that this moment is for me. This moment is given to me as a revelation and as a means by which I will be drawn more powerfully into the presence of God through Jesus. So the contemporaneity of the scriptures is what allows us to take the book of the scriptures and say, how is this by the power of the Holy Spirit and always in continuity with and responsible to the, you know, the, the magisterium of the church, how in that context uh, am mm-hmm. I drawn in to experience the presence of God in the events, in the mystery of Jesus's life? Uh, you know, Bishop, you, you know the work of, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, Johannes Baptist Metz, a uh, German theologian. Mm-hmm. He had a saying uh, that, that hits me hard. Uh, he talked about the dangerous memory of Jesus, because uh, to encounter the living Jesus, whom we do meet in our prayer, is often enough uh, to be called to conversion. Um, you know, this coming Sunday, uh, we're going to be hearing that proclamation from St. Mark chapter 1, 14 and following, uh, where Jesus systematic, programmatically announces his ministry, which is to announce that the kairos, the long-awaited moment of decision and, and climax of history has arrived. God is breaking into our human situation with his power coming through Jesus and by the way, this is going to require a mental uh, flip. This is going to require conversion. This is going to require change. And so when we enter into this experience of Scripture, uh, which for Ignatius is principally about coming to know Jesus more intimately, to know Jesus, Ignatius says, is invariably to come to love him, and then to want to follow him more exactly, and follow him not just in a moralistic way of trying to imitate Jesus, but to be caught up in Jesus's living out uh, of worship and praise and confidence uh, in his Father, and giving himself over totally to the mission of the Father in the world. So it's to be drawn into Jesus. It's to be drawn into a relationship with Jesus that changes the way we hope, that changes the way we see ourselves in reality, and that orients us uh, and gives us guideposts on how uh, on how to how to obey the call of God that is also being. If we say that God is at work with us 
always, it is also always true that that involves the Lord inviting us uh, into his mission in the world. Another major feature in Ignatian spirituality. So, Father Jerry, two, things, two points crossed my mind as you was giving, giving that explanation about the role of Scripture in, in, for St. Ignatius. It reminded me first of St. Jerome, right? That very famous saying, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So if we're going to take our spiritual journey seriously, the Word of God has to be central to that work, right. to that journey. The other is, as a good Jesuit, Pope Francis instituted the Sunday of the Word of God, right? right? Which when it first came out, people said, well, don't we celebrate the Word of God every Sunday, which is true. But nonetheless, against the backdrop of what you just described, it, it, it would animate his desire to lift up the importance, a key spiritual tool, if I could use that word, in this journey would be the Word of God. And, you know, there's right. always that classic statement that we as Catholics have not really emphasized the Word of God as much as the sacraments, which I'm not sure is quite valid. But nonetheless, I appreciate what you're saying because it, it resonates very deeply with a key gift that the, the Lord has given us, which is his Holy Word. But I'm going to ask you another question then. So talk to me about the role of silence in this spiritual journey. Why is that so okay. important? <laughs> okay. Father, before me, you... Father, be before you answer that question, um, we just need to go to a quick break. And uh, okay. when we, well, you can answer that. We'll leave the listeners hanging on until uh, we come back on the other side. There you go. Um, <laughs> you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano and special guest, Father Jerry Blaschek. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. On today's show, we've got a special guest, Father Jerry Blaschek with the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality. He's been speaking with Bishop Caggiano about renewing our spiritual practices and everything that that entails. Excellency, you were asking about the role of silence. Yes, it's something that it, it's, it, I ask it for both the theoretical purposes and for on a, on a personal level because silence is something I've always had a bit of a struggle with in my own life, and uh, but it's essential. So talk to us, talk to me about why it's an essential piece to this uh, spiritual journey we've, we've been talking about. Okay, uh, thanks again, Bishop, uh, for this opportunity. If I may, uh, I want to go back to the end of our last topic, which was um, Scripture mm -hmm. uh, and the absolute centrality uh, of Scripture as our avenue to meet Christ. Um, and here I fall back, uh, and, and I'll get to your question about silence through this uh, through this road. I hope um, there's no, I, I can't emphasize enough uh, that in our Catholic tradition, and quite more specifically in my Jesuit tradition, Jesus is alive, and so the Scriptures are not an account about what the early Church thought about him. They are that, and what they believed 
and what they experienced, but it is our opening to experience uh, through the Spirit the living Jesus. So the point of reading Scripture uh, is not to learn new things about Jesus, but to encounter him. Mm -hmm. uh, it's fine to learn new things about Jesus and to do all the kinds of work. If you had a camera, you'd see, you know, I was, I was trained at Harvard, uh, you know, in, in a historical critical method to, uh, to try to analyze where the words of Jesus and where the words of the church's reflections on him came from. But finally, as a believer, um, what's precious about the scriptures and specifically the New Testament, is that it is the privileged place where I encounter the living God come to me through Jesus and mm -hmm. the faith of the church in Jesus that transmits to me the reality of the present Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. If we pray and we only know more things about Jesus but have not met him, the power of transformation and the power of of coming into a new life of faith, uh, of love, uh, and of surrender to God in obedience. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't get, we don't argue ourselves toward that. We're led to it through our transformative experience of the liturgy and of our prayer. How we meet the living God. Remember, that's why that's what liturgy is about too. It's our opportunity to meet the living Christ. Right. So then, is silence a place of meeting Christ then? Okay, exactly. So, uh, and again, I, I fall back on the specifics of my Jesuit training. St. Ignatius tells somebody who's accompanying another person in their prayer, uh, and especially in the concentrated forms of prayer, which are now what we call retreats, but Ignatius simply called them ejercicios, you know, exercises. Ignatius warns people like me, and the people that we train here as spiritual directors. Ignatius says, no es mucho saber. It's not a lot of knowledge that satisfies the heart, but it's deep interior knowledge uh, of the Lord whom we meet in Jesus. Consequently, Ignatius, maybe knowing the kind of people who Jesuits, who were drawn to the Jesuits, he said, say less rather than more. Don't keep talking. He, Ignatius says, have confidence that the Creator will engage the creature and share the creature's very self in love, and so you don't have to fill up the noise. You don't have to fill up the time. Allow the person in silence to encounter the living Lord and have confidence that the Lord directly will engage the person. So silence... It's a long wind-up, Bishop. So silence mm -hmm. is that effort for us to listen in mm -hmm. confidence that Jesus is alive, that through the memory of the Church, through the Scripture, through the images, the language, through the consideration of my daily life, all of this the Spirit puts together in such a wise as to give me deep interior knowledge and experience of the Lord. Now, if you keep making noise, and if I keep making noise right. to fill up that silence, we lose the opportunity to attend deeply, confidently to the Lord who does want to share 
God's very self with us. That's the core belief that Ignatius has and that we proceed on in any kind of silent prayer. This is a time when God does want to communicate God's very self. As I listen. So, so Father Jerry, let me ask you this then. So, um, I am a, a faithful Catholic that is trying to deepen my spiritual life. And every time I enter into silence or try to be still, um, it's an unnerving experience. Um, I don't have that peace that you are just describing. I don't, because I'm distracted or because I am, I'm just uncomfortable. There's something that is, um, seems to not want me to sit in the silence, right? Whatever that may be. And therefore, I say to myself, how do I get beyond this obstacle? How, how can I gain that sense of peace uh, or conviction of heart to allow me to sit in the silence even when I am not comfortable? Or, or it, 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 it's, it's a challenge. And that's my wind up to ask you this question. Wouldn't it then be one of the reasons why the church speaks of companions in the spiritual yes. life, spiritual Absolutely. directors. So talk Absolutely. to us about the role of a spiritual director in what I just described concretely and in general. Why should I have a spiritual director? All right, let's imagine that someone comes to me, exactly what you described, Bishop, someone mm -hmm. who, you know, goes to liturgy often or in these, in these days looks at the readings of the day and wants to be prayerful. Um, and has somehow maybe has heard uh, somebody like me or like you talk about uh, an invitation to deeper prayer and to deeper mm -hmm. recollection and to meeting God in silence. And then, you know, comes to me and says, Father, you know, uh, I feel so, so deeply uncomfortable. Okay, my role as a spiritual director would not be, first of all, to teach that person some very legitimate and helpful practices and techniques that have been handed down to us, not only through Ignatius, but Ignatius was a great collector of the wisdom of spiritual uh, teachers before him. But I would say, so what is it that you're experiencing? How are you feeling when, when you're trying to pray? Now, you know, it's very rare that anybody listens to anybody. <laughs> and it's very uh -huh. rare that any of us have a place where we're allowed to tell the truth and where we're allowed to be vulnerable without feeling like we're going to be judged uh, or condemned or written off. So the place of spiritual direction is that safe space where in total confidentiality, you and the spiritual director listen to what's happening in your heart and in your life. In that context, let's imagine that the person would say, Father, I'm afraid. I'm not a therapist, but I would probably say back to the person, you're afraid. Yes, Father, I'm afraid. Can you tell me what you're afraid about? I'm not going to go into therapy and try to help that person resolve, you know, what was my family of origin issues that, you know, uh, that's not my job. It's not what my training is. But this person is coming because they're trying to pray. And the person says to me, Father, I'm afraid. So I'd affirm, okay, you're afraid. That's not, you know, the, it's not the end of the world. 
So you affirm what the person is feeling. What, what are you afraid of? Father, I'm afraid that Jesus doesn't much like me. Or I'm afraid that I'm not good enough to be here. What am I doing talking to a spiritual director? Mm-hmm. And I would probably say, what would you think about telling Jesus that you're afraid? Mm-hmm. What would you think about saying to Jesus, I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that you like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's try that now. So, you see, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I, I, you know, I admire therapists tremendously. And, uh, but this is, you see what I've done? I've, I've, I've helped, I've tried to accompany the person and acknowledge how the person is feeling. And maybe we've stumbled on to the obstacle for that person's silence. Maybe it's not so much that the person is terrified, is, is anxious about silence per se, but doesn't want to be silent with somebody that you're not very comfortable with or you presume doesn't want much want you there anyway. Right. So, Father Jerry, would it be fair to say that one of the reasons spiritual directors are extremely important is because we all have blind spots in our own lives, that as much That's as right. we want to think we're totally self-possessed and totally yeah. self-conscious, right? But we're not. And when you establish a relationship with a friend— then there is a mutuality, there is an affection that produces a knowledge. So a friend can say something to you that you would not know otherwise and say it out of affection and love. But a a spiritual director is not necessarily going to be or meant to be your friend, but someone who objectively, to the extent that's possible, but in the name of the Lord, be able to speak a word, right? And also allow the person to speak a word back. So if you allow a person to express something about themselves, it may be the first time they're realizing it. That's right. And the word spoken back is not yours, it's the Lord's, right? It's, which is different from everything else you describe. So it seems to me, would it be fair to say that um, if we work towards a true renewal of the church, then every adult should have access to a spiritual director, not just priests and not just religious, but everyone who desires that sort of companionship should have one. Is that a fair a fair statement? Absolutely, absolutely. Because look, you know, our confidence is that God is still working and the way God works to bring us into the fullness of life, that's our resurrection gift, uh, and to lead us beyond um, our blindness and our alienation is to bring us home through Jesus and and uh, and and through a coming to know God through Jesus, right. Uh, right. and we mm-hmm. will stumble on, as you say, on these obstacles. Uh, mm-hmm. And the companion helps you, right? Exactly. Right. And and mm-hmm. and you notice, and Bishop, I, you know, again, you you've certainly, I'm certain that in you know in spiritual direction and in and in hearing confessions, isn't it the case that so many people's uh, pain and distance from God and sense of uh, uh, of uh, of disconnect uh, are rooted in immature, wrong, completely false images of God or immature yes. images of God. Without a doubt. Oh, right. Without a doubt. And I think 
in my experience of spiritual direction, many a time, um, my director will say something that clicks um, because I instinctively knew it. But when you hear it, it takes on a whole new life and it convicts me. And and in some sense, it liberates me to do it alone. See, nowhere in the gospel does Jesus say, go out on your own. He always sent them out two by two for a reason. Right, right. So so let me say this to you then. Let me ask you. I mean, here in the diocese, we are blessed to have the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality. It has been a tremendous blessing and resource precisely because it is training clerics and religious and lay people to be spiritual directors among many right. other spiritual offerings. So in the few minutes we have left, perhaps many of our readers do not know that the Murphy Center even exists. So That's give right. me a few, a few things as to what you would want everyone in the diocese and beyond to know about this great center. Well, I, I would highlight what, what you just have so graciously, uh, you know, uh, set up for me, Bishop, that uh, people, <laughs> l- l- let me tell you how, how powerful and how available the experience is, because I'm guessing that many people who will hear our, our, uh, our show will think, well, that's just for priests or nuns or for people who are particularly devout. But remember what we've just said, that God wants to give God's self, that Christ wants to draw people into a relationship with himself. Uh, that's open to everybody. We have a program, and and this is not an advertisement so much as just as, as an encouragement. We have a program uh, that allows our undergraduate students uh, to sign up for uh, a 10-week program during which they will commit themselves to spending a half hour to 45 minutes every day in silence. Now imagine, you know, with with none of the buds, none of the, you know, no computers on, no social media, a half hour to 45 minutes every day. Uh, They find it both baffling, uh, difficult, and ultimately transforming. They will Mm -hmm. say, uh, and then, I'm sorry, I I should have added that, they have a spiritual director or who, whom they will meet every week to help them process what it is that they hear in silence, what it is that they discover about themselves or about God or about their relationships. You wouldn't be surprised to know that in silence, our undergraduates begin to taste uh, gratitude. You know, in that silence, they will suddenly come to the awareness of, I don't, it's, it's not to be taken grant for granted that I'm here that mm-hmm. I'm healthy, that my parents have given me this opportunity, that I have the friendships that I have, or that I have the interests that I have, or they start paying attention to a voice of conscience that moves them beyond pure self-gratification uh, or, you know, completely temporal uh, achievements and gives them what I'd call a holy discontent, that they're looking for something more. When they st- Start paying attention to what's really going on in their hearts, in their lives. To your point, Bishop, they desperately need somebody to be able to articulate that to, where they're safe and where somebody will continue speaking with them to clarify what it is that they're experiencing and how this really can be understood as grace, uh, as, as a transformative gift, as a coming into adult Christian maturity. Um, 
So imagine that our students, once they do that, they don't want to give up uh, their experience of a spiritual director. Uh, so mm-hmm. most of them, or many of them, will continue seeing somebody not weekly but monthly. Um, so when people are quiet enough and when they have the right incentive and assistance, uh, extraordinary things. I don't use the word transformative uh, in a sloppy way, but transformative things happen. So uh, mm-hmm. we have spiritual, not only do we train spiritual directors, but we have very carefully trained uh, spiritual directors on our staff who are happy to meet any of you who want to explore the possibility of spiritual direction. Um, That would be the first step. Go onto our website, uh, and the website is simply uh, fairfield.edu slash capital M, capital C, capital I, capital S. Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality. So fairfield.edu slash MCIS. And you will be able to see all of the offerings. And there's a wonderful um, write-up there about what it is that we offer, what it is that spiritual direction is and isn't, and what it would be like to have an initial experience uh, of of seeing whether this kind of a relationship is appropriate for you and for what you're desiring at this stage in your life. Uh, so we do offer that. And I was, as the bishop mentioned, uh, there has been from our students, from our community, and I have to mention from our sister churches, uh, so much interest in spiritual direction and spiritual guidance. A good percentage of our uh, of people who come here for regular spiritual direction are clergy from other religious traditions, uh, Lutherans, uh, UCC, uh, Episcopalians, especially strong Methodists and, and Episcopalians. Their clergy come uh, because they're looking, and their and their traditions don't offer uh, this kind of uh, of accompaniment. So, uh, and I should also mention that anybody who is being who is who is acting as a spiritual director. Uh, is herself or himself also in spiritual direction, and mm-hmm. they meet with a supervisor monthly. Not that mm-hmm. they will share with their supervisor the details of your conversations, but they will. We, they, they're, they're trained to be self-observing uh, and to acknowledge. Let's say, let's say, um, let's say somebody comes to me in spiritual direction, and I find myself very unnerved uh, and not attentive, or I find myself uh, all too attentive because what they're talking about is something that I'm struggling with or something that I uh, have difficulty with. Somebody's talking about, you know, uh, a grief uh, or parents uh, who are who are in decline or, uh, uh, you know, a child who's struggling, you know, with sexual identity issues there's no way a, a good spiritual director, and I say this is true, Bishop, of us as priests, too. If you listen att- attentively to people, your own issues, your own struggles are brought to life again. And you better pay attention to them and deal with them because you don't want to use your spiritual, your, your the person who comes to you for confession or spiritual direction as the avenue in which you still explore your own unfinished business. So, right. uh uh, our spiritual directors are well trained and constantly supervised. Um, if you do check our website, um, you'll see uh, 
descriptions of our formation programs for spiritual directors. You'll see special programs, uh, what I described as the, that 10-week program for students we, awful, we also offer for any members of the community who would like to do that. Uh, you might say, I'm not ready, I don't know whether I want to have a spiritual director regularly, but I'd like to try that 10 weeks when I commit myself to some discrete period of silence, and then discussion with the spiritual director. When you check our website, you'll see that we're offering this semester uh, a special series on the spirituality of aging. We have a special series this year on uh, women and women in the church and a Lenten retreat for women, since this is the 50th anniversary of women at Fairfield. Uh, we used to have, and this the bishop was a huge help in this, we used to have uh, a multi-month program at local parishes. Um, we can't do that in person, obviously, uh, but we've made adaptations, and so it is possible to sign up for this multi-month program. Uh, so please take a look at, at our website, uh, and you'll have uh, telephone numbers and, uh, and uh, email addresses for me or for the director or for our admin where you can get more information. Father Jerry, listen, I am... This has been an excellent conversation. I am very grateful for the work of the center, for your presence there at a Fairfield, your presence and your service to the parishes of the area, and just the support that you are to me in so many different ways. So I am delighted you were my first guest. You, 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 got, you get A plus, maybe two A pluses <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and be assured of my prayers, my friend. Please, you know. Uh, we're you. all in this together, right? And I um, really, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bishop, and thank you for your constant support of our programs and of uh, of our mission, the mission of uh, the center, but also the mission of our university. Thank you very much, Bishop, and I thank all, all of the members of your staff and the priests and religious uh, and lay workers of the diocese with whom it's been a, such a pleasure to collaborate. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. God bless you. Father Jerry. And you're listening to Let Me Be Frank. Bishop Frank Caggiano has been speaking with Father Jerry Blaschek with the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality. We'll take one more break and then we'll hear a question from a listener when we come back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, Excellency, we have an email uh, today from Cheryl, and uh, I'll read it here. It says, Bishop Frank... You've stated that Jesus chose his disciples as men, who were indeed the very first priests. Can you please explain a bit about how the church has interpreted this to mean that absolutely no women can serve? Were these Jesus' words exactly? I would like to think that if Jesus came today, he would indeed choose women to spread the good news as well. Well, Cheryl, your question it, it allows me an opportunity to further elaborate what I said last week when we were together we the question of 
why Jesus chose only men to be apostles has been one that has been debated for a very long time. And the way I see the question, um, it, it's, it's a very simple one. Um, it's based on two premises. First, it's based on who we claim the Lord to be. And we claim him to be the divine person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity who's taken on flesh, all right, to come into the world as Savior and Redeemer. So the decisions Jesus made are the decisions God makes, very clearly. The second is that while Jesus certainly lived in a particular culture with its own customs, Jesus in his ministry broke almost every custom and norm that existed. And a perfect example of that is his interaction with the Samaritan woman. And the fact that she was a Samaritan a woman and an adulteress, he broke three basic cardinal norms of his time. But he did it because of the offer of salvation. So everything that has to do with the gift of salvation is very purposefully done by the Lord in the way he chose for the purpose of allowing that gift to endure through time and space to the end of, of all things. So they're not custom bound. They are the decisions God makes in the wisdom of his own mind. So when you put those two things together to choose his apostles, which is fundamental to the life of the church and the sacraments of the church and the offer of the salvation that comes from them, it is a fact he chose only men and therefore, the church um, has always held and reaffirmed by uh, uh, St. John Paul II and even Pope Francis recently is that the fact that they are all men is not, re it, it is not revisable um, for us at any point in the church's life. That is to change. It is not in our ability to change because God chose it as part of the giving of the very offer of salvation to creation. Now, one could say, Great. would he do differently if he's in the 21st century? And the question is, that's a question I would, I, we do not know the answer to, but that's, and you know what, Steve, we should bring this up even when we have more time to discuss it, because it's sure. extremely important, right? And we could yes. do that at a later, a later show. Definitely. And we love hearing from our listeners. So keep sending your questions into us for Bishop Frank. Email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. The Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality is on the campus of Fairfield University. You can find them also on Facebook, Instagram, and on the web at fairfield.edu slash MCIS. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. May the blessing of Almighty God, He who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Steve, my friend, I look forward to our next conversation. Yes, thank you. Likewise. Likewise.